Hey guys, how are we doing? It's Juad with Hit The Apex Podcast. How are we all doing this week? Another week of racing, another week of excitement. Just never ends the fun, you got to say. <laughs> no, I'm loving it still. I know some people are being very critical about what's uh, what they're seeing at the moment, particularly with the F1 side of things. And, you know, that commentary happens year in, year out, I think. But um, it's the people who stay true to it and can bring out a positive amongst many negatives that, you know, should should be heard and everything. So, um, yeah, that's that's what we've got to say about it, basically. I know there's things that aren't really great and things that, you know, can be done better, but the, the overall, you know, when you look at the bigger picture, we've got a bright future coming up for the sport, you know, and I've said it before too, 2022, new rules kick in, start of a clean sheet of paper for a lot of the teams you know we're going to be in year two of the new concord agreement as well um budget caps and all that sort of stuff so i think you know looking forward to 2022 i know we've got a whole year next year to go and then whatever's left of this season but there's cause for optimism and you know the people who do complain, they still end up watching every race anyway, you know, expecting the, um, their team or their driver to, to have a good result or for there to be an exciting race. And I think we will get one this year or a couple sometime this year, given all the new circuits we're going to as well. There's always variability with weather, even though <laughs> Spa again over the weekend um we predicted rain and then it didn't come but I did say be cautious about that I said you know don't expect it uh what will happen is probably 45 minutes after the race or half an hour after the race it's going to bucket down and it actually did no surprise but as far as the race was concerned yeah you know 89th career win for Lewis Hamilton from pole position as well so you know again this guy just the form that he's in at the moment this year is is I don't, what is it going to take to beat him, you know, is it going to take something, you know, some failures on his car for him to be stopped, because I think psychologically he's unbeatable, and when you consider the wider narrative as well, you know, Lewis Hamilton is the kind of mature character now that a lot of what goes on in the outside world, you know, not in his personal life, let's say, but, you know, just broader societal and cultural issues, political issues, he uses that as motivation for his performances on track too, and it was very touching as well to see over the weekend. I had the tragic news coming into Saturday that uh, the actor Chadwick Boseman had passed away. He was fighting colon cancer for, for four years, you know, that time, four years in which he came to prominence, I guess, amongst, you know, mainstream cinema for his work in the Marvel movies as the as the Black Panther and of course the impact that Black Panther the movie itself had um as far as you know portraying you know black superheroes and everything like that is concerned and given that you know Black Lives Matter is something that we're all still talking about hopefully at the moment I know Lewis Hamilton is and being vocal about ending racism and everything I guess he would have felt that um with the kind of character that Bozeman was with you know his Black Panther um persona as well that yeah it was a big loss so yeah motivated by that good to see Hamilton um really use that and take that as motivation to really do well and if that's going to happen all the time, like if he's going to use this sort of stuff as motivation all the time, then he's going to be unbeatable. And this is where, you know, Hamilton as a driver is an interesting case study when, you know, when he retires, I'm sure more people will probably look into it. More people will probably appreciate um, his achievements as well, which I know for a while there, a few years ago, I didn't really, you know, I appreciated his achievements, but I had no, little or no time for him as a person, as a character, you know, his, um, I thought he was a bit immature, you know, he was still very much, you know, in his own bubble, but now what we see is a more complete person, uh, which, you know, when you look at other world champions, other, like, legendary world champions, you know, 
they've all got this mystifying persona, you know, the Ed and Senna's, the Michael Schumacher's and everything, but there's no use in comparing them because they're all different in their own right. And I think, you know, for this generation, Lewis Hamilton is going to be that defining figure and perhaps, you know, transcends just sports on its own, you know, for all those other issues that I listed before. <clears throat> Um, we can appreciate him for that as well. So <laughs> enough waxing lyrical about Lewis, I think, you know, before I start getting accused of being a Lewis Hamilton fanboy. Um, I'm not going <laughs> to say that I'm a fanboy, but, you know, it's it's important to appreciate um, his achievements and what he's doing. Let's actually talk about the race, or lack thereof in some people's eyes, said firmly tongue-in-cheek. If you guys can picture that at all, you don't have to. I'm I'm totally fine with that. I'd rather you not. (laughs) Um, But yeah, Hamilton wins half a second up on his teammate in qualifying, Valtteri Bottas. Mercedes with the 1-2 lockout. Then basically, it was Sayonara Lewis in the race. He nailed it to perfection one-stop strategy came as well thanks to an early safety car um but more importantly i guess what we should talk about is the fact that there was no answer from his teammate valtteri bottas and supposedly chief title protagonist or title rival for lewis hamilton last week i did say yeah it's a bit of a concern that he is not able to just challenge you know even if it's just try to stick a wheel down the inside or something like that going into turn one he's just not there and it's a case of you know well Mercedes will win the constructors championship Hamilton will win the drivers championship and thank you Valtteri for your your support as the rear gunner you know and Valtteri talks a lot about you know he wants to be world champion he's at the best possible team for him to become world champion under the current regulations uh, he talks about, you know, I'm Valtteri 2.0 or 3.0 or whatever point oh he is now, but it's just not working, you know, and whether it's because Hamilton's just on a completely different level, you could say that a lot of it is to do with that, but also Bottas, not in this race, but in previous races, was being beaten by Max Verstappen, who, let's be fair, is an in, in an inferior car at the moment the Red Bull is not up to the same scratch as the Mercedes so you know just where he's at at the moment Bottas is a bit of a concern as far as his performance is concerned he did finish second in the race which was his best result believe it or not since the win in Austria but at the same time going to the next few races is he going to be able to notch up a win you know is he able to try and be a bit more aggressive because even his racecraft at the moment or luck thereof again um isn't really showing any aggression or anything he isn't making that charge for turn one or you know being aggressive as he should be you know in that second seat so you know for Mercedes he's probably ticking all the boxes and be like okay that's that's it but as far as being a championship contender and also being Lewis Hamilton's teammate, you want to see a bit of fireworks, and for a while, it was nice for a bit of harmony to be there between, you know, after the Nico Rosberg turmoil up until 2016, but Valtteri constantly talks about wanting to to win a championship and everything, so without that aggression, I guess it's not going to happen, and this is really kind of distressing to hear as a as a bit of a Bottas fan too not that you know he's my number one driver but I have had a bit of a soft spot for Valtteri since he came into F1 back in 2013 I keep bringing it up how I wrote back at the end of 2014 that Bottas would be a future world champion after his performances with Williams that year getting on the podium several times but he's in that perfect position now but it's it's just not happening so yeah, you know, it's going to take a better mind than mine to to figure out what he needs to do. But, you know, to the obvious viewer, I guess it would be the fact that Lewis is just going to have to make mistakes or for Valtteri to just do something to upset the apple cart in Mercedes to for him to be the number one driver while um, 
well, Hamilton has some struggles because otherwise it's it's just not going to happen. So going back to what I was saying before about safety car, we had a safety car come out on lap 11. There was a bit of a nasty crash there for Antonio Giovinazzi, um, just seemingly lost the rear or something, went off into the um, into the barrier. Car was destroyed. His one of his wheels came loose, you know, actually the tether was ripped off and went on to the track and actually took George Russell out of the race too. Um, thankfully, both drivers were actually okay. They got out of the cars pretty quickly and um, were back into the pit lane, would have had to go to the medical center for some checks because obviously once uh, there's an impact that reaches a certain level of G-force, it automatically triggers a sensor in the car, I believe, and that means that they've got to go get checked by the um, medical people to make sure there isn't any like internal injuries or something like that and concussion and all that sort of stuff. So very good stuff, you know, hats off again to the medical staff and you know just the safety of the cars too again with the halo you can credit um a life being saved that day due to it you know obviously spa's always going to be an emotional weekend every time we come back to it because of the tragic events last year with Antoine Hubert and again a nice tribute there this weekend with um you know drivers laying flowers down at the crash site last from last year Pierre Gasly notably and then even pre-race a bit of a ceremony to um pause and give a moment's silence to uh the young Frenchman who passed sadly very early on um in what could have been a really really good career so yeah you know when you take that into account all the safety steps that F1 have taken over the last few years and the halo was bashed quite a bit when you go back to when it was being developed and everything, but when we're saving lives, um, young lives at that too, it actually makes all the difference and makes complete sense. So good to see no halo bashing happening at the moment or at all recently. Maybe that's something that uh, you know might pop up again. Who knows? If 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 it does, those people just don't watch the sport. Go watch something else because. You know, even IndyCar have their own head protection device now, the aero screen. And to me, that actually looks, you know, just aesthetically, it looks much worse than the Halo is. But you've got to appreciate why it's there and credit what it's doing to to keep the drivers safe. So, yeah. Most of the drivers ended up hitting for the hard tyres in that um, stop coming in on lap 12, I believe, because a couple of them were able to make it in on lap 11. And then by the end of the race, we had a bit of a Silverstone-esque concern for the tyres for the top three, blistering and all that sort of stuff because they had run those hard tyres quite long. Fortunately enough, uh, they were all okay, so no one had to make a second pit stop, you know, as was being thought of especially for Bottas and also for Max Verstappen. They were like, we've got enough of a gap to Daniel Ricciardo back in fourth place, so why not, you know, throw in, um, throw a spanner into the works and see what can happen because we've got nothing to lose as far as a top three position is concerned unless something else dramatically happened. But, yeah, it was, um, it was all, what do you call it, holding stations. They held station there at the end. Max, basically, it went on to complain after the race of how boring it was. Another podium for him, which is important, six consecutive for this season. Given that first race there in Austria, he did have that DNF to his name, mechanical failure. But where Red Bull are at the moment with their car, there's no chance. And I made that clear. I wrote an article this week. I thought it was appropriate that I do in regards to the criticism that's being piled upon Alex Albon at the moment. Um... And it continued over the weekend. It's like, oh, you know, he's 30 seconds off Verstappen or whatever. But just given the fact that Red Bull have actually come out and defended their driver, and yes, they did last year too before they sacked <laughs> Pierre Gasly, um, just before they sacked Pierre Gasly. Um, it, what's important is, you know, Helmut Marko has come out and said uh, that Alwan is as quick as Verstappen through the corners. He was you know, putting in good numbers and the data that they get to see, which we don't have access to, they obviously see that Albon is doing a good job. And I said as well, you know, 
what how would that look on their end as well for their young driver program where you know you've you've sacked Danny Fiat a couple of years ago um that's a different story sack Pierre Gasly and then you want to sack his replacement too in in Alex Albon it just doesn't seem logical and particularly given that Red Bull don't have a competitive enough car yet to challenge for the championship. Max Verstappen, he's always going to get a result out of the bag. He could be driving that Ferrari at the moment, I think, and might still be able to at least get a top five finish in there, you know, and maybe a podium on on raw pace. But that Red Bull at the moment, it's good to see that Honda have made gains again and they're much more reliable power unit than what we're used to seeing in F1. But Again, on the chassis side, Red Bull haven't delivered this year, and if they were to sack Albon, for example, it would just totally stink of, you know, what do you call it, you know, either desperation or just wouldn't make sense given that they haven't actually provided him the opportunity with a quick enough car to get results, and I'm sure with the form that we saw from him in Austria back at the first race, he's not too far off getting a podium and if he gets that speed if he gets that confidence we're going to see him do really well so and what happened to him in this race as well is that I guess they fudged up the strategy put him on the medium tire instead of the hard so that when he got to the end of the race he was going to be in P5 but ended up losing that test about Ocon on the final lap so Ocon obviously on a harder tire had a bit more life in that rubber compared to Albon who didn't and ended up just losing the one position because, yeah, you know, Lando Norris was in behind as well and could have been a factor too. He could have lost two positions, but still finished fifth. And overall, you look at the championship standings now, Alex Albon is sitting fourth at the moment. So if Mercedes and Red Bull are your top two teams, then you want your drivers, your two drivers of those two teams to be inside the top four. So Alex Albon's there. What more can you want? So I reckon still Almond will have the opportunity to finish on the podium this year. I've said it right throughout the year, given the form he had at the end of last year and then you know being cruel in Brazil that he was and then again in Austria. But it's going to play out a bit differently and I think when he does get that podium ticked off, it'll give him a lot more confidence. And yeah, you know, we'd like to see a driver like Nico Hülkenberg in a competitive car that can get podiums and race wins. Same thing with Sergio Perez as well, but it's just not worth, you know, tossing out a young driver like Almon, particularly given that he's a Red Bull driver in their program, for an external candidate. And even someone like Sebastian Vettel coming back to the team, which has been suggested again um, by external people, uh, it just it just doesn't make sense at all. So yeah, you know, Gasly again doing really well because he's in a low pressure environment. That Toro Rosso seems very very not very easy because not driving an F1 car is not easy. But it seems a lot more easy to drive than that Red Bull. You know, it's a lot less volatile. And given that there's less pressure and, you know, not much attention on him, he's doing really well this year. And he had another stunning drive from 12th on the grid to P8, I guess motivated as well by wanting to do his mate Huber very proud this year. So they started him off on the hard tyre and then ended up pitting a bit later than everyone else. So there was a bit of concern that um, when the safety car came out that he wasn't going to get in the window to make the pit stop, that he would fall back. But he was able to race his way back into the top 10, which was really good to see. And... (laughs) (laughs) I guess for some people it wouldn't have been good to see because he was passing some red cars that are not necessarily associated with positions outside the top 10 but um, hey this is 2020 (laughs) anything can happen and Ferrari yeah you know they qualified 13th and 14th finished 13th and 14th Um, only the positions were reversed Sebastian Vettel finishing ahead of Charles Leclerc we came into the weekend knowing that their power deficit was going to be exposed given you know what happened in the off season with the private settlement with the FIA and the stewards regarding their power unit from last year and the fact that they just haven't really made any gains they've gone backwards i think on data you know when you look at the lap deltas between this year and last year 
Ferrari's the only team that's gone backwards, and that's saying a lot, given that, you know, where Williams were last year, and even Haas and Alfa Romeo, that they've still made marginal gains, whereas Ferrari have just gone completely, you know, 180 in the other direction. So there was that also, given that this is a power circuit, but their biggest problem was the fact that they just couldn't get the tyres in the right operating window, which is a problem that someone like Haas had a lot last year, and you wouldn't predict Ferrari, of all people, to be having this kind of issue, so it just it just looked really bad, looked very embarrassing, and given that we're coming into two races now, which are really important for Ferrari, obviously the Italian Grand Prix, their home race at Monza, no Tifosi there this year, but it could be a blessing not having any Tifosi there, because uh, as one of my mates says, is a big Ferrari fan, passionate Italian as well, he's like, if there was any Tifosi there, they would be throwing television sets and rotten tomatoes at them, you know, from the balconies or whatever, so, and I can totally see that happening, even though I've never been to Italy before, or, you know, um, experienced anything like that, They're, they're very passionate though, and that's what you've got to give them, but yeah, heading into Monza, Italian Grand Prix, a race again that they won last year, you know, put an asterisk next to it if you want, you know, with the, with the questionable um, power unit that they had, but it still goes down in history as a victory, Charles Leclerc winning the two races on the bounce, and then the week after, the 1000th Grand Prix for Ferrari, you know, how is that going to go down in history when um, they go to Mugello in a couple of weeks' time, so I know we'll, we'll talk more about that next week when we get ready to preview Mugello, but yeah, 13th and 14th, just being passed, you know, like, even the Alfa Romeo of Kimi Raikkonen, which uses same power unit and some of the same components as the Ferrari, passed Sebastian Vettel twice, you know, and then the rest of the competition, including Gasly in a Honda-powered Alpha Tauri, just breezed on past, so not much more I can say there about Ferrari that hasn't already been said, I think, you know, everyone's just going to be getting on the Ferrari bash train at the moment, um, yeah, you can play a drinking game this week about how many times I use the word bash. <laughs> Have some fun while you're in lockdown. If, if you're in lockdown or, you know, if you're not good on you guys, just, <laughs> just take it easy and stay safe as always. But yeah, you know, jumping on the Ferrari bash train, I guess. Uh, <laughs> not much more to, else to say, but we'll talk a bit about them actually later on when I do the um, Monza preview. But yeah. It just low low point, you know, very low point for Ferrari there at Spa, and again race that they won last year and quite comfortably too. So yeah. Anyway, going back to uh, <laughs> the rest of the race because you know not everything revolves around the Scuderia as in some people's minds it does. Um, Racing Point, you know, they didn't have the best race. You know, typically this is a circuit that they do really well at, which is Spa. But unfortunately, that wasn't the case. Gasly ended up beating them to the line. They finished, I think, like P9 and 10 or whatever. While conversely, Renault had the best race of 2020. Perhaps one of their best races since coming back into the sport back in 2016. So P4, as I said, for Daniel Ricciardo. He even got the fastest lap as well, which was the first time Renault's had a fastest lap against their name since the Canadian Grand Prix 2010. Robert Kubitzer back when he was amazing, but yeah, you know, Ocon, as I said before, ended up finishing in fifth because he passed Albon on the last lap, but yeah, Ricardo having a bit of a lonely race, but what was important to see across the whole weekend, not only were, was the pace consistent, but they were fast, you know, on a fast circuit where you would have thought that the Renault power unit being underpowered by comparison to the Mercedes and to the Honda and once upon a time the Ferrari, that they wouldn't show that kind of speed, but they did, so it kind of makes you excited for what to expect in Monza, given that that's the most draggiest or, you know, the least amount of drag on that cher- circuit. I don't know what I'm saying, I probably made him pass of that, I know what, <laughs> you know the difference, but between drag and less drag, but you know, let's be fair, it's a bit late here, and um, I'm pretty tired, no excuse, but anyway, thought I'd try and get away with it, um, but yeah, Monza, gonna be a great test for them, but also to, also to try and get two races together, where they score strong points back to back, and of course, there's a lot of hype now about Ricardo 
finishing on the podium potentially and what that actually entails because there's a bit of a bet on and I'm not sure if I mentioned this last week but a bit of a bet on with uh, his team boss Cyril Abitable even though Dan's flying the coop next year going off to McLaren he's still got a bit of a bet with his uh, current boss and that is that if uh, Ricardo finishes on the podium Cyril's got to go get himself a tattoo done and this is very exciting because Cyril does not seem like the kind of guy that would have any ink on him so apparently Ricardo gets to choose the design and the size and Cyril's just got to choose where on his body he wants it done so yeah it'd be nice um <laughs> be funny if it ends up being a tramp stamp that would be quite quite something but I don't think Ricardo's that cruel so good good race for Renault Again, the big thing will be for them consistency. Uh, I still think Racing Point and McLaren are those teams that might end up ahead of them in the Constructors' Championship. But the way McLaren are going, I think it's you might have to. I might have to reconsider that prediction. I don't want to because it's like, well, you know, I want to support my team. I'm, I made that decision at the start of the year that this is what's going to happen. So let's back them. Let's back them and. They're my team. They're finally doing better than they have in the last, what, five, six years where we had all that suffering during the Honda period, which, you know, by the way, kudos to all the people for sticking to the team in that time and not just jumping on any kind of bandwagon. (laughs) Um, But yeah, you know, McLaren again having a difficult race. Poor Carlos Sainz didn't even get to start the race with an exhaust failure. And what's that going to do for his power unit count as well for the rest of the year? It looks like an upward battle for him. Um, but as I said before, Lando Norris ended up finishing in the points. P7, which keeps his little tally ticking. But yeah, you know, science kept talking in the um, pre-race stuff about, you know, or a pre-weekend stuff that Spa is one of his favourite circuits. It's where he's had a lot of success in the junior categories. But in F1, for whatever reason, he can't seem to take a trick there. And, you know, speaking of taking a trick, you know, how would he feel about, you know, given the fact that he had to sit and watch the race from the uh, McLaren pit wall? There was some interesting commentary and also just some memes going around about, you know, what does Science feel about his move to Ferrari after watching their race? You know, Science obviously looking a bit disappointed, uh, you know, a bit concerned maybe. Even Ross Braun wrote it about it, uh, wrote about it in his column on the F1 website on Monday morning. That yeah, maybe there is a bit of concern about Carlos and going to McLaren, or oh, sorry, to Ferrari, but. That's that's another story, I guess, in itself, because we've heard, and, you know, this has just come out today on motorsport.com about, um, from Mattia Bonotto, team principal, saying that, you know, just be patient, guys, you know, telling everyone to be patient, and, you know, the fact that it could even take years before the um, team is back to its winning ways, and it kind of raises the interesting point, because... Obviously, this is not the first time that Ferrari have had a winless period. You know, you look back between when they won the championship in 79 with Jody Schechter and then their first championship with Michael Schumacher back in 2000. There was a lot of time there. They they were winning races, of course, but, you know, there were some dark times. How does today, where the media coverage is a lot different, it's a lot more vast, you know... Everyone can see basically anything that's reported now. You've got social media as well. You've got a lot of commentary coming from, you know, obviously people like me doing podcasts and vlogs and all that sort of thing. So basically, yeah, there's a lot more commentary around it now than there was. And whether that actually builds up the pressure a lot more, I think, you know, and the expectation for them to do well. I'm sure the expectation was there back in the 80s as well and then the early 90s, but it's a lot more known now given how many people talk about it and you know the social media influence and all that sort of stuff so I think and this is just speaking personally as as, as a mentor I guess you know not a, you know by the book I don't really have much of a script anyway for these things but I don't think it's a bad thing necessarily for them to take their time it's just this expectation that people have on Ferrari that Ferrari have always got to be winning and yes I guess a lot of factors go into it you know given the fact that they still even under the new Concord agreement will get um, a big sum of their little 
uh, fee that they get from the commercial rights holder. And also the fact that they're, you know, the biggest team in the sport. You know, it's like, you know, Collingwood Footy Club or Manchester United in, in soccer. Not that I know much about it. But, yeah, you know, but those teams as well have to do rebuilding, you know. And there's all that talk about the Brisbane Broncos at the moment too in the NRL in regards to that, given that they're the richest club in the, in the league. But perhaps they're going to have to take this pain now, you know, as long as... 2022 is the goal to to be able to get back to their winning ways um that's got to be it and yeah you know i think because it's ferrari we're not going to stop hearing about it every bad result comes under the microscope but i think coming from a mclaren fan who got used to the the honda failures and mclaren failures as well in that period i think yeah we're just going to have to get used to it um and soldier on not not something that fans want to hear but yeah unfortunately it's the case so there we go that's pretty much the race wrapped up there had some extra news there i did say last week about the two races at bahrain this year there was confirmation over the weekend that the second event at bahrain the sakia grand prix will utilize the outer configuration which is pretty much like an oval layout with set to have sub one minute lap times as well so i think that'll be really exciting not so if you're a ferrari fan because yeah that's going to hurt you a lot more but anyway mm. sorry <laughs> i'm not sorry about this but um yeah you know what what fate does await ferrari on home soil the media pressure is going to be intense you know i don't think that they're going to be able to sack anyone though you know the foot needs to come down i think from the leadership team as well you know mattia bonotto of course has just got a put his foot down and just show those leadership qualities that we saw from Maurizio Riverbeni in the past there you know it was said uh that you know but Benotto has kind of stood down from all the other roles that he was undertaking in the team which was surprising that when he was team principal why he was still doing all that other stuff you know technical department chassis and power unit and all that sort of stuff he should have other people doing that and he needs to be overseeing the entire project so whether that's going to change now or you know we're going to see the fruits of that later on in the year who knows given that yeah development is frozen as well so we might not see the fruits of this until 2022 at least but um yeah something's going to be done but i don't think sacking anyone is the right solution because who else are you going to get in instead of him um it's interesting that Sky uh, on their broadcasts have been suggesting they bring in someone like an Andy Cowell, who, of course, if you guys are aware, um, quit Mercedes or he uh, you know, came to the end of his tenure at Mercedes. Obviously, Andy Cowell, the architect of high-performance powertrains and also the dominant Mercedes power unit since 2014. So... If he's up for a move to Italy or, you know, a new challenge or something, because, you know, I'm sure Renault wouldn't mind having him on board or even anyone, any power unit manufacturer wouldn't mind having him on board. But Ferrari in particular, I think you could say at the moment, given all their troubles, I'd be reaching for the checkbook uh, at Marinello and saying, whatever you want, Andy, just come on down and... uh, make us a winning force again or at least in the power unit side so and that depends on what you know cow's plans are as well you know whether he when he meant by new challenge or he wants to look at um, other adventures or other ventures i should say whether it's to do with f1 or other motorsports or just some other industry entirely you know automotive and that sort of stuff so yeah but if he is going to be available for f1 then Ferrari, get that checkbook out, get that phone number and start dialing because yeah, he could be the um silver bullet and don't mind don't mind the Mercedes pun there, silver bullet. Um to resurrecting what is a very much of what is very much a mule at the moment instead of a prancing horse so yeah and talking about Monza and how everyone's gonna go, well, can the Mercedes juggernaut be stopped? probably not you know Mercedes powerful reliable Hamilton looks set to continue the streak if he wins this weekend he's going to be only within one win of equaling Schumacher's record of 91 wins so 
it's it's all happening. It's all coming together. He's going to get the seventh title this year. He's going to get the 91 wins, or he's actually going to be go beyond the 91 wins and b- become the most successful F1 driver of all time in terms of race wins. Um, what is big though this weekend is the fact that we have the banning of the multiple engine modes for the first time too. That's going to take effect this weekend. It was delayed from Spa to Monza. So given that Spa or Monza qualifying is always quite interesting with all the people backing up to try and get a toe and everything and, you know, the extra tenths of a second that you can get from having a um, higher quality mode or party mode, like they say, for Mercedes. be interesting to see what the aggregates and, you know, the differentials between qualifying times are this weekend. But again, <laughs> I don't think Ferrari are going to get out of Q2 um, be lucky to get it at Q1, actually, you know, unless they do a bit of slipstreaming or whatever. I foresee one car at least falling out in Q1, if that's the case. But um, what the differences are between, you know, Q2 and Q3, and also, you know, those top teams and the midfield teams, because obviously it affects everyone. Mercedes says it won't affect them, particularly in the race trim as well. It's going to actually benefit them, but... Is there going to be someone else that hurts from this? You know, whether Red Bull's gains and qualifying are basically to do with the power, with the party mode and other teams in the midfield too. Whether that takes away some of the advantage that Racing Point have was that with their pink Mercedes as well. It will be interesting to see. So we're all going to keep an eye out for that this weekend and uh, see what impact that has. Again, Renault, brilliant showing in Spa. Is that going to give them their best shot for a podium this time? I would hope so, just so we can see Cyril Abitable get that tattoo, and also McLaren hoping for a better weekend as well, and just science needs a bit of luck, you know, I mean, he's been so unlucky when you look at his career in general, and he's such a highly rated driver, a bit underrated actually, in my eyes, by some people, but yeah, in my eyes, he's a very, very high caliber driver, so yeah, onwards and upwards, and Roll on to Monza, always a favourite of the year, gets a bit of an Italian flair happening, you know, usually make my own pizza or something like that, or, or pasta <laughs> to celebrate the weekend, um, it's it's all the way, and you know, with spring weather coming into effect as well, I mean, it's, it wasn't even September the 1st, and it was pretty warm on, on Monday, I think, so that's global warming for you, so I don't think I fancy a red wine when the when the weather is a bit warmer, but yeah, I'm sure something can be arranged to celebrate the race that is Monza every year, and I'm sure, yeah, I'll be interesting to interested to hear how you guys do it as well. So, no messing about then, let's get straight into the supercars chat, as always, because we've had three rounds in the last three weekends, and now we're going to have our fourth in four weekends um, this weekend. A lot of weekend stuff there. (laughs) Um, Townsville Super Sprint, the first one we had last week, two out of three wins for Jamie Wincup, who made some impressive championship gains on Scott McLaughlin. They came into the weekend 177 points apart, that gap cut to only 123 now. Wink up at the two poles as well. And you got to say, just Red Bull in general have hit their stride in the 88 car. Um, there was, again, struggles on the other side of the garage in the 97 for Shane, Ged- Shane Van Gisbergen. Last time out in Darwin, the second Darwin round, he looked to have made improvements. But again, just a bit, um, just struggling a little bit in Townsville, but I'm sure for the second one, we could see him up there. He did finish on the podium, though, which was good in race 20. That was a crucial result as far as helping Red Bull Holden Racing Team in the team's championship, too. They've got 60 points over Shell V Power Racing now, and that's to do largely with the fact that the benchmark operator, Scott McLaughlin, had his worst weekend of the year. And when I mean worst weekend, I mean he didn't qualify in the top 15 for two races, I mean, well, I think for the second race he qualified, didn't qualify in the top 15. He might have not been in the top 10, but didn't qualify well. He wasn't in the shootout for the first race. He was able to limitate the damage as far as his results were concerned. He finished in the top 10 all weekend and got the victory on Sunday in race 21. But the fact that he made mistakes, or he did in the um, in qualifying ahead of the shootout, but also just car struggles you know they couldn't get the car dialed in and this is kind of confirming a theory that I had that you know perhaps 
the Red Bull cars are stronger when it comes to street tracks, which we saw later in the year last year and even at Adelaide, even though Scott did win a race in Adelaide at the start of this year. But, you know, when you look at Gold Coast last year, Red Bull were really, really strong. They swept that weekend while Shelby Power struggled and Scotty even had to sit out the second race, I think, or, you know, sat out both races because of a crash that he had and the car was written off. So... We're seeing that again this weekend, or in this event, I should say. Fabian Coulthard, his teammate, didn't really feature much either over the weekend. I think his best result was fourth. So that's where, I guess, Red Bull have come and taken the top spot in the championship away from them as far as the team's championship is concerned. But 60 points is 60 points. You know, that could turn very quickly. Um, But... Yeah, for for Scott McLaughlin, you would be hoping that they can rebound this week after a bit of better understanding from from the last weekend. And I guess that's the advantage of having two weekends back-to-back at the same venue is that, you know, you can use the first weekend as a bit of a test session and then come out strongly in the second weekend. And I'm sure there'll be a lot of people that learn or have learned from the first Townsville Super Sprint and will bring a lot more over to the second one. Soft tyres going to be used again for this weekend, so there's not going to be much change apart from, you know, time. I think, you know, the races are about an hour earlier than they were last weekend. So, yeah, it'll just be weather and temperature, I guess, that'll be the difference. So, that's... Other highlights as well, um, big pile up again at turn two. Turn two just seems to cause carnage every year at Townsville. Last year, I guess, well known for Scott McLaughlin and David Reynolds coming together, but this time there was a bit of a pile up in the opening race of the weekend. We had Anton Di Pasquale tag Shane Van Gisbergen, who then kind of concertinaed onto a couple of cars, all the cars involved. So there was um, Todd Hazelwood, James Courtney, Jack LeBrock, Macaulay Jones. Uh, Zane Goddard in the uh, Matt Stone car, Rick Kelly and Andre Heimgartner involved as well. So they all had their races compromised essentially because of that. And then to make matters worse for Brad Jones Racing, who already had Hazelwood and Macaulay Jones involved in that um, pile up there at turn two, Nick Perkout had an engine failure. So again, a bit of a horror, horror day for them. Three cars affected, three cars out of the race but they were able to rebound over the weekend. Um, Perkett's still holding sixth in the championship, which is really good. It's good to see him up there inside the top six and for Brad Jones as well. But, you know, it was still just one of those headache or, you know, head-scratching days or painful days that, you know, they don't really want, particularly when the championship as well has not got much longer to run as far as races are concerned and and events are concerned so every result now is going to count and I'll touch on that a bit later as well once I finish uh, wrapping up the first Townsville Super Sprint and pretty much all I had to say on top of that was the fact that uh, we saw Cameron Waters and Chaz Mostert with uh, a couple of podiums apiece as well across the weekend so Walkinshaw and Dreddy United again strong on these street circuits and good to see the consistency there from Mostert but of course still finishing way behind the Red Bull car that won the races in those first two ones. And Cam Waters as well, confirming that, you know, Tickford seemed to be strong, whether it's on, you know, a high downforce track, you know, like his Sydney Motorsport Park and Darwin, and also the street tracks as well, like we saw at Adelaide and now in Townsville. So they're going to look strong and basically coming into... uh, what's going to be the one and only endurance race as well in Bathurst in October. They're going to be really strong contenders, especially when you look at their lineups as well, which I'll touch on in a sec. But um, let's get straight into all that additional stuff that I had to <laughs> bust out the notebook to, to uh, scribble in some notes earlier today to, to make sure I didn't miss out on them. But yeah, you know, some calendar confirmation finally, um, as far as how the rest of the season is going to pan out. We're not going to be going to Queensland Raceway. Instead, the Benders come to the rescue there in South Australia. Um and they're going to have two Super Sprint rounds, 19 to 20th of September, the first one, and then 26 to 27 September, the following one too. So basically filling in that place that Queensland Raceway had been hoping to do. So we'll get a week off now between, um, or a weekend off, I should say, between 
Townsville wrapping up this weekend and then going to South Australia. What really helps as well is that there's no travel restrictions between Queensland and South Australia, so they can all basically just travel travel in and not have to quarantine or anything like that. So, And the Bend is basically one of the most impressive racing facilities in Australia. They've got their own hotel on site too, so they could basically use the circuit as a hub. And from what I hear as well, thanks to an email I got, because I'm on their mailing list, it seems, because I went there last year and bought tickets, is that um, uh, they're going to be selling a handful of tickets as well. So, you know, fans in South Australia will be able to see a bit of supercar racing at the Bend after all that controversy that occurred and um, furor, you could say, for when they were omitted off the um, revised calendar after the COVID revisions. Some sponsorship confirmations too, so Repco and OTR coming on board for, for the band rounds. And quickly, while we're on Repco as well, if you hadn't already heard... Who knows if you follow supercars even, um, that Repco is going to be taking over title sponsorship of the Bathurst 1000 from next year. So great deal for them. Obviously, um, sad to see Super Cheap Auto go because ever since I've been watching the Bathurst 1000, it's always been Super Cheap Auto since the mid-2000s. So, but Repco, another you know reputable brand. There you go, Rep, Repco, reputable, not intentional whatsoever, um, coming in to take over and, you know, Big links there with the Penske uh, team, DGR Team Penske 2 being one of their sponsors. So increased investment from those guys. Bathurst as well, that October 15 to 18 date now confirmed. But then there's you know a whole lot of other stuff around Bathurst, which I'm going to get to now as well. And first with one, of course, as well is Gary Rogers Motorsport. Yes, Gary Rogers Motorsport, who left supercars at the end of last year, you know, financial troubles and all that sort of stuff. They're apparently in in advance talks to have a wildcard return for Bathurst, just with the one car. It's been unfortunate that they've not had a lot to do this year. You know, they were supposed to do a TCR Australia campaign and S5000 as well, which, you know, due to COVID restrictions has not been able to take place. So they're going to want to do some racing and they're going to come back and do Bathurst as well, which, you know, best race of the year to do if you're in supercars, if you ask me. Who are they going to get for drivers to? That all, you know, depends on if this comes to fruition as well. I'm sure they'll have some drivers available that would want to do it too. Um, James Golding, of course, who was one of their drivers full-time last year, he's actually going to be co-driving with Mark Winterbottom at uh, Irwin Racing this year, so we won't see him. They're going back to GRM. But, um, yeah, speaking of co-drivers, big announcement, I guess, with Will Davison um, being confirmed as uh, Cam Waters' co-driver, so that's going to be a very strong lineup, I think. And given the fact that, when you look at most of the co-drivers or most of the best co-drivers these days, they're all ex-supercars drivers that have only been out of the sport for a year or two. You know, Red Bull Holden Racing Team, I guess, they kicked it all off when they got Garth Tander and Craig Lowndes to partner their drivers, Shane Van Gisbergen and Jamie Wincup, respectively. It forced uh, Shell V Power Racing to, you know, sack Alex Premer and put in Tim Slade, who was off contract, and... Didn't find a seat anywhere else um, full-time, so they're going to have a formidable lineup. Tim Slade and Scott McLaughlin and Tony Dalberto and Fabian Coulthard have done quite well together too. But also we get some young talent coming in too, so Jordan Boys, who's been in Super 2 uh, since last year, he'll be partnering up with Todd Hazelwood, that got confirmed too. And as far as Alex Prem is concerned, because unfortunately he won't be able to fly over, and that's why they've drafted in Will Davison there at Tickford. Um, Tickford will be hoping to get Premer back in the car for next year. So, what I was saying as well before about you know Tickford having a strong lineup. You look at Davison there with Waters. Davison has driven a car this year. He's driven a Tickford car. He was quite successful. He was fast. Waters has probably been their best driver all year as well. And they're going to have the best chance that they've had, I guess, for Cameron Waters side of things to be able to win the race. And, you know, hopefully Chaz Moster doesn't come and try and take him out or anything, as has been the case over the last few years. But not only him, Lee Holdsworth as well feels confident, which is good to see too. And old Lethal there will get um, partnered up with one of his good mates in Michael Caruso. So Caruso shifting across from the monster car of Waters over to, to Lee Holdsworth. So those two having been on the podium together at Bathurst actually 
um, back in their days at GRM, believe it or not. So they'll have a chance to win there too. Um, got uh, James Courtney there with Brock Feeney. So Brock Feeney, another young driver coming in. And uh, who else is in the team? <laughs> Jack LeBrock. He's going to have James Moffat. <laughs> Sorry, had a, had a blank. So Moffat not moving from the super cheap auto car. So, yeah, and haven't had all the co-drivers confirmed yet, but when we get closer to the Bathurst 1000 and, of course, when all the co-drivers are, are announced... I will be able to go over them in more detail, give some thoughts on their on the pairings and all that sort of thing. But what's I guess going to be a talking point now is um, until it's confirmed, basically, is what's going to happen with co-drives in terms of some test sessions or test days, um, practice sessions, perhaps being talked about at the bend as well, co-driver only and over both weekends. So they're going to need a bit of preparation, of course, before they go into the one and only endurance race of the year, which could be pretty decisive as far as the championship is concerned as well. So watch this space in regards to that. And exhale. And wrapping things up, I guess, uh, some Gen 3 updates because, you know, that got delayed a year as well thanks to coronavirus. You know, thanks COVID for for ruining everything, said firmly tongue-in-cheek again. (laughs) This is what happens when I do these things late. I get a bit get kooky and I'm sure I said this last week but oh well keeping it real as I do you know it's what I like doing um gen 3 rolling out in 2022 basically some information coming out about that how um supercars have put out a tender or three tenders actually you could say um which need to be filled and that's for control some control components one of them being a pedal box brakes and also the wheel or wheels you could say so they've put out the tenders on the website you can go have a look if you're a engineering company or a manufacturer that wants to do that sort of thing i can't do it in the back of my um in my backyard so i'm gonna have to give it a pass and also they're investigating fly-by-wire technology as well to be introduced for 2022 so that's exciting that given the fact that they've been using cable throttle um on their cars and they have been for for you know million years basically that they're going to go to an electronically controlled throttle system like we see in f1 you know they've got both fly-by-wire which is for the throttle and brake-by-wire which is for the brakes too so you know whether they if they find a cost-effective way to do it It'll be really exciting, of course, whether that'll make some kind of impact on performance, we'll see, but good to see them kind of, you know, getting a bit more relevant, not relevant, but like getting more with the times with modern technology and that sort of thing. So, yeah, that's pretty much that. I guess I don't have really much more to add this week, apart from, you know, the usual. Plug the Twitter account, hit the Apex Media, check it out. Um, Stay safe, take care of each other. Still, we're in this hot mess that is 2020 so we just have to do our best to kind of get get over it to not get over it get through it together be kind to one another and all that sort of stuff as well so yeah that's pretty much it guys thank you take care and uh we'll be doing this again same time next week ciao